All right. Hello, Grace Baptist Chapel. This is Blake. I'm alongside Pastor Ryan. We're continuing to walk through the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Today we are in chapter 26. This is of the church, a lengthy, a lengthy 15 paragraph uh chapter. Pastor Ryan, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, brother. Good to good to see you. So how would you like to go about this? Can I just have you go through each paragraph telling us something about each one, because this is an important chapter, of course, um, and it's it's lengthy. And so how about you just tell us something of each one? Sure. Sound good? Yeah, sure. Oh. That sounds good. I'll just give a highlight from each chapter. Of course, it won't deal with every single thing. I mean, in the first paragraph, when I say chapter, I mean paragraph. So we're in chapter 26, but the first paragraph, the second word is the word Catholic, but then they describe it for us, the Catholic or universal church. We don't need to be afraid of that word Catholic. It just means one or universal. And notice what it says. It consists um, of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ. So the, the Catholic church is every believer uh, down through the ages. And that word is a word that we don't need to be afraid of. Uh, sometimes we use it in worship when we uh, confess the Apostles' Creed. But then moving into the uh, second paragraph, um, it gives us this idea of the uh, the faith. It says, all persons throughout the world professing the faith of the gospel and obedience unto God by Christ according unto it, who don't destroy their profession by heresy or uh, living in a way that calls into question um, their uh, testimony um, are people that uh, may be called visible saints. They're yeah. saints that profess Christ that we can consider visible and ought um, to be the building blocks of local congregations. So but we then, should call each other saints? Is that what you're saying? You know what? Actually, that's not a bad thing to, to point out. Like saints are not these special people that the Roman Catholic Church has said have done something special. Every believer is a saint. That's good. Yeah. 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 Paragraph three is helpful. It says, even the purest of churches are subject to mixture and error, which is a good reminder. There's no perfect visible church on this side of eternity. But it says that some have degenerated so far that are not true churches but synagogues of Satan. Now that sounds like bold language, but we ought to be willing to receive that, that there are places in even our city or our region that have the word church on their sign, but they're not true churches. They're not made up of true believers. They've, they've abandoned the true doctrine of the faith. Uh, paragraph four reminds us who the head of the church is, and that's important, right? He is the head of the church, and he is the one who is its head, not the pope, of Rome. And then the, this paragraph, we're going to talk about this, Lord willing, this coming Sunday night, but neither can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist? little spoiler alert for Sunday night. Jim Renahan, who is a great scholar on the confession, points to the reality that we need to consider the chapter that we're in when we consider a phrase in the confession. This is in the chapter on the church. This is not making a statement that we know that there is one Antichrist and we all who hold on to this chapter, we all have to believe that the Antichrist is the Pope, but that the Pope is that Antichrist. In my opinion, he is in the spirit of Antichrist. He has put himself up as a false head when Christ is the head of the church. There's more we yeah. could say. And I'm not saying he's not 
an or the Antichrist, but we get a little confused sometimes when we import end time stuff into this chapter. It's helpful even to point out which which paragraph that's that's taken place in. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Uh <clears throat> paragraph five, we talk about the institution of the power uh that the Lord Christ by his spirit has given um and what these churches, local churches or particular societies um, are to do. Um, chapter 26, paragraph 6 and 7 gives some further description of the church, saints um, walking in obedience to Christ, paragraph 6. Um, paragraph 7, we see that there should be the carrying on of worship and discipline, um, which Christ has instituted. Uh, paragraph 8, we get to the officers, the two officers of the church. You know, Lord willing, our church this coming Sunday is going to take up as a whole church the nomination of officers, both elders and deacons. So this is an important thing in the life of any church. And these are Christ-instituted offices. Well, having talked about the offices, then in paragraph 9, we get to uh, the way in which officers ought to be chosen and set apart by any local church. Then in paragraph 10, we get the work of pastors listed. Pastors and elders are synonymous. We may use those words in different contexts, but a pastor is an elder and an elder is a pastor. Some may focus more on one task than another, but they're not two separate offices. Paragraph 11 does the same. But then we get to paragraphs 12 through 15. And just quickly, notice paragraph 12 says that all believers are bound to join themselves to particular churches. The New Testament doesn't know anything of an individual rogue believer who's not committed and covenanted to a particular expression of the church. Paragraph 13 talks about the posture of those who are in the midst of disturbances in the church. And this is important. Um, notice what it says. It says, no church members upon any offense taken by them, having performed their duty required of them towards the person they are offended at, ought to disturb any church order or absent themselves from the assemblies of the church. How many of us know people who say, well, that church, somebody offended me. I'm angry. I'm not going to go to church anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not a biblical thing, right? We work through conflict, even if it's difficult. Well, there's more we could say there, but the last two paragraphs speak to churches holding communion together, not the Lord's Supper, but holding official fellowship together. In the 1600s, the Baptists were essentially calling this associations. They weren't fully Presbyterian, churches governing churches, but they weren't independent either. The churches were uh, sisters together, partnering together, and even speaking into each other's lives for their mutual good and edification. And you can see examples uh, of the fruit of this in mission sending and the raising up of men for the training of ministry, these kinds of things. This is a very quick and inadequate summary of this chapter, but I think these 15 paragraphs help us to understand more about the local church than most of us understand when we just pick up our Bible and see the word church. There's a lot to the doctrine of the church. There is, yeah. Yeah, there is. And and as you just pointed out about associations, how, how should we think about this? Should a church seek to join an association? Is that the import of this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the confession says when, when in God's providence, there are churches of like faith uh, who can confess these things, 
because that would be wise. Churches can enter into other partnerships, but you know, our church can only go so far with, say, the Presbyterians or with the Methodists or with Baptists who don't hold to our confession. We're all believers if we're in Christ, but there are differences enough. But when they're in God's providence, the opportunity for churches to hold communion or fellowship together, the confession says they ought to. They ought to work for the good of all of their churches in that region, for the officers to know one another, for members to know that they can consult the officers of other churches if they feel like they've been wronged, these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, there has, I taught through these paragraphs uh, a year or two ago, and I would commend them, not necessarily saying that they're the greatest sermons, but uh, we've taught through this doctrine before. You can look at that, chapter 26 of our confession. Um and the question of association is a question that churches have to wrestle with. And I think it's a good one. Yeah, it is. It is. We should pursue it in as much as we can. I I like that. Yeah. And well, glad you guys could uh, join us for this very brief overview of chapter 26. Lord willing, uh, we'll do this again for chapter 27, which is of the communion of saints. All right. See you guys.